0: father we come to you tonight and we rejoice in that story if it wasn't for that story we would have no hope no purpose no worth no reason to even get up in the morning but because of that story we know that the gospel has changed in this book of Esther we are realizing that there are reasons, many reasons why certain people are in in the Word, why you've used different people for different reasons to show us how to live, show us how not to live. Father, we, we really want to grasp all what you have for us. It is teaching mechanism. Your Word is so full of teaching because you don't want us to miss all what you have for us. Self gets in the way so much, and we miss the blessing. So tonight, may our hearts be open. May we be ready to receive as we finish this book, as we go through chapters 9 and 10, and we just catch what you want to speak to us personally. Father, we know there are many requests in this room, many things that are going on behind our home closed doors. You know where we are weak. You know where we need you the most. And Lord, we just are ready for this one lesson to be able to minister to us right where we need to be. That is the beauty of your word. That is the beauty of your unfailing love. You are ready to show us how we can make it through another night, make it through another day, make it through another week. Lord, you definitely are our all in all. May we get to know that truth more and more every day. And we pray this all in our Savior's name who makes life so worth living. Amen. Hey, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it's all that I need. Yeah. Well, hey, it is something to be able to be this far after two, I would say they were difficult studies. I mean, you start in September and you start um, every word of the book of Daniel. And and whenever you are dealing with prophecy, I mean, I think we we can feel accomplished tonight because we, we finished Daniel and then we moved into the book of Esther, which I think a lot of people thought, oh, this is an easy one. And it isn't an easy one. And so, um, especially when you want your eyes to be open to truth instead of make-believe of what we've always kind of been taught. We want the truth. And I think when we finish up tonight, you're really going to understand that. So, I think we can all feel very accomplished that... that. Um, We put a smile on the Lord's face because we diligently every week worked at this. And I think he opened up our eyes. I think we can all say we've learned a lot. And so as you open your Bibles to the final two chapters of the book of Esther, may I just say this book has been full of characters so many characters. Now, last week I did the once upon a time. We went through the whole thing. and But just remember all of the people God worked with to make this all happen. And to remind ourselves that we were looking at an, a godless empire. We were working with a godless empire. And so, you know, you... That's a whole lot of people to begin with, you know. So you're working with Xerxes, the king, and then you, and then the story of, of that whole episode, you know, about getting all the women and then picking some out for the harem, and and then Esther is picked for to be queen, and you know all of these detailed things that God used in all of these characters and how all of a sudden a man that we never even heard of before appears on the scene that that absolutely changes the whole scenario of the story and his name is Haman and how God even used him and how, you know, we saw how this spiritual weakness was really something that we could not avoid we need to take a look at that phrase because I think we have a tendency to even look at spiritual weakness and say, well, at least it's spiritual. I might not be as strong as so-and-so, but at least I'm spiritual. But, you know, to, to look at that phrase and know that spiritual weakness is when self is on the throne, when self is is deciding everything and how in I heard that survey about, okay, if we're, if we're spiritually strong and we know we are, then what made us weak? You know, what happens to us? Because it happens to every one of us. We can be spiritually strong. We can be in our Bibles. We can be studying, and and we can be in that walk with him, and we love that relationship, and everything is is going. We know spiritually we he remains in us, and we remain in him. We all know what that means. It just feels right. We're walking in righteousness. So what in the world happens? Why don't we stay there? We know it's the best thing for us. Why don't we stay spiritually strong? And this survey helped us to see and it, yeah, we fall right into these things. Oh, all of a sudden our lives change and all of a sudden you, you know we start worrying and we we start getting real worked up and and doubts start to come and and all of a sudden, you know, you are veering off. All of a sudden, oh, instead of, oh yes, he's there. You start believing what yourself is whispering in your ear, or even yelling in your ear, and you're starting to be, okay, I've got to figure this out. I've got to, I've, I've got to do what I got to do to fix this. And and then we saw how it can be as, is. Easy because it is. It's so easy to get off from. We procrastinate. We procrastinate our reading. We put it off because we're so busy and we've got other activities that come in the way and we don't make it a priority. And before you know it, it's one day, two days, three days, and up, down, yet you're going off course and self will take over. And we said, you know, and this is such a good one for today. Oh, do we believe every news report that comes out? Do we ever, do we, when we go and, and we read our, the news on internet and we read all the articles and, I mean, even all the medical things that are on there, oh, we believe everything. And we go to that more than we go to our Bibles for information. I mean, we, we need to be informed. Of course we do. But if you check to see the time you spend doing that, you put the time in the news and in the internet and all that versus how long you're spending in your Bibles. I'm just I'm just throwing that out to you. Sometimes it's a very interesting little test to see who gets the most. And then of course, you know, sometimes we're just lazy. You just don't feel like it, you know, just lazy. And you don't want to put in the work. You don't want to put in the effort. And you certainly don't want to put in the cost because it costs. To stay on the right road. You know, and, and then we get so, by the fifth one, it was we're so self-absorbed that the Lord isn't even in the picture. And that's where I think we see two more characters come into here, and that's Mordecai and Esther. You cannot deny that when you don't mention or you don't go to the name of the Lord and all of his glory and majesty and all of his wisdom and you don't ever mention that. You know they're off track, and then you even you even you know read about um, Haman's wife who who says, "You know what? Um, I think we got problems here. I think you are doomed." You know all these characters, how the Lord used them all. You know, he will do that. That's the miracle of how his grace and faithfulness works, even when we're not even aware of it. But I still say shame on them. Shame on us when we falter and we turn our spiritual strength into spiritual weakness because we aren't willing to work at it. It doesn't mean that much. I hope that we've all learned, because what is the book of Esther about to us? I think when we get through these last two chapters, I think we are going to have a clear understanding of why this book is in the scriptures. So, okay, join with me as we go every line of chapter 9, every line of chapter 9. All right. On the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those seeking their destruction. No one could stand against them because the people of all the other nations and nationalities were afraid of them. Remember that verse last week we ended chapter eight with, and many people of other nationalities became Jews. And how we wished it said, because they wanted to get to know the Almighty, the one and only God that Mordecai and Esther portrayed and stood up for. No, they became, they wanted to become Jews because. They were fearful of the Jews. The Jews now had the king's attention. They felt they would be most protected. So the reason they wanted to become a Jew was still for themselves. And then you see it here again no one could stand against the people of all, because all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles, verse three, and all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, the kings, the administrators, Help the Jews. They all helped the Jews because fear of Mordecai had seized them. So look at all the hierarchy. They're all, oh my goodness, have they changed their tune toward Mordecai? Now they can't get close enough to him. Now they can't buddy up to him. Before, you know, he was a problem. And now, of course, being that he was given the power... And the acclaim, now they all want to wanna be buddies with them. And So it says Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. Now, when you were reading this, and I hope over and over, I hope that bothered you. I hope when you read that, you thought, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not... What God ever wanted. But remember, we're talking about people that should have never been here. You know, there is nothing like walking in obedience. There is something satisfying. And when you walk, when you know you've done the right thing, and they have just pushed God so far out, whether because they they didn't want it, or because it was watered down and because they they just didn't care. Their fear has overtaken them. They're trying to figure out everything themselves. But I think right now they're thinking, oh, this didn't turn out that bad. The Jews struck down all their enemies with a sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. Did that bother you? Of course it should. Now we know in the Old Testament there are many times that God helped the Israelites conquer the enemies and many were killed. But we know that it was a part of God's plan. It was a part of God being in the middle of it all. It was God working it out. Now I say that These two have changed. These two have changed. Their heart condition is just so changed. Now, we change all the time. We either change because we get to know the Lord better and we see less and less of ourselves and more and more of him in our lives. We take on the character of Christ. So that's changing us. Or the more that you're on that self-road, you will change because you will watch your heart harden. I, I look at Esther here in this chapter, and, of course, Mordecai is a given. He's changed, and he loves it. I mean, last week when he, was, when he left the king's presence wearing those wonderful royal garments of blue and white, and he wore that gold crown and a purple robe, oh, he loved it. Don't kid yourself. But Esther is changing, too. When you think of, about when she went into that harem, when she when she was chosen, one of the 400, when she was then chosen to be probably knight with the king. I mean, I think she probably went with fear and trembling. And now all of a sudden, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but in this In this time, and with all that's transpired, with all of self now being glorified, and you are watching the heart change. And even the whole, look at even the heart of the Jews. Look at the hearts of the Jewish people. And it pleased those. It It pleased those to kill those. It pleased them to kill Did you just want to shake him and say, "Um, you have gone so far away from righteous living, you don't even remember Exodus 20? You don't even remember the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not kill. Unless God is telling you differently, like he did in the Old Testament, I repeat, God was nowhere to be found at least in their minds of course we know he was there the whole time and he's working meticulously working all these details and he's using these people but their human nature you watch how calloused and hard because you, you just can't normally with the love of God in your heart you can't possibly and they did what they pleased to those who hated them that's Shouldn't be even close to our actions. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, <laughs> they probably they probably were thrilled. They probably were proud of themselves. They also killed the ten sons of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, but they did not lay hands on the plunder. I had laughed at you when you saw that every time after they killed this. You know, this humongous number of people and all, every 500, 300, and then 75,000. I mean, after every killing, oh, but they didn't take the plunder. Like, oh, you know, we didn't take their stuff. Like, that was supposed to appease. You know, we didn't take their stuff. The number of those slain in Citadel of Susa was heard to the king that same day. And the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and the sons of Haman in the Citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. Oh, man, the king can't give her enough now. This is what happened on this day. Now, what else do you want, Queen Esther? What else can I do for you? What is your request? It will also be granted. Verse 13, oh, if it pleases the king. Oh, she has learned how to do this. She has learned how to just work this man. Remember the first time she wept and she cried and she found out that, ooh, this this works. And then she did it again later and... You mean, in last week, remember how, how she said in verse 5 of chapter 8, if it pleases the king and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me. And here, if it pleases the king. Oh, she's so far off because what should she have said? Oh, if it pleases you, Lord. If this is your will, Lord. If this is what you want for me, Lord. You know, why didn't Mordecai say, Esther, God has put you in such a place and a time, is this? But that's not anywhere to be found. If it pleases the king, little K, king. Esther answered, give the Jews and Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also. Oh, kind of like it. We did 500 yesterday. Let's see if we can get some more tomorrow. And let Haman's 10 sons be hanged on the gallows. Did you wonder, hey, they're dead already. Did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, the first day they killed the 10 sons of Haman. Now she wants think Think, you know, I first thought, hey, come on, they're dead already. What are you going to do? She wants to hang them from the gallows. That's what it says. She wants to take their dead bodies and put them up there, up the 75 feet. That's probably the same gallows. They just added a few few, uh, little uh, neck things. Hang those 10. Let their necks just be dangling. Let the people take a look at that. Do you think Esther has changed? Do you think that timid young woman, that virgin woman would have, I mean, I think her whole, her whole heart has changed. Why? Because that first night she was with the king and then, and then because she never was taught how to go to the Lord God. She just went along with Mordecai. And because of that, when you are spiritually weak, when you've been watered down, when you are lazy and you just don't want to do it because it takes work and effort, and because you're in a state of worry and fear and anxiety and disappointment, and this is not the way it's supposed to go, and self-pity, and we get so caught up in that. Oh, you are you are so far gone and by the way where is the lord when you're when you're just falling into all those emotions and you feel hopeless and where is the lord he's right there Where was the Lord? Last week we said that. Even though his name isn't mentioned, where was he? In every situation, he was there. He was orchestrating it all. He was trying to get them to see how far off they've been. He was trying to get their attention. He was trying to get them to come to him. And they didn't. And we still see it happening. And because of that, you see a behavior change. You see a heart condition change. So the king commanded that this be done, and edict was issued in Susa, and they hanged the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa three hundred men. But they did not lay hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. This shows you, this verse 16, this should show you how many people stayed back. This just shows how many people... humanly so much understand it is so much easier and we've said this many times but it is so much easier to go the comfortable easy way. I mean they they heard about oh yeah 70 years was supposed so to go back. Um yeah I don't think so because you know I kind of made a way of life here and I kinda like it comfortable and easy here. And you know I look at that broken down city and it takes four months to get there. I mean ugh I don't think so. It is hard to be obedient. it sometimes it does cost, and you do have to put yourself out on the I mean there in in our seeing career i I just would cringe sometimes when I would hear Tom take I knew what he was doing. he was saying yes to this, and I am just I'm wanting to say no, I don't want to stay in that camp i don't I don't do camps well. And you know, some people love camping. And nowadays, you look at these RVs. That's not so yuck. You should've seen the places they put me. Oh, it was so yuck. And yep, Tom would say yes. And but you know what? The greatest thing was is after after it was all said and done, we watched the Lord work. And even though, I mean, it was some of these rooms that I had to stay in, I mean, you had a Oh, I don't know what to say. It was so terrible. But you know, when we got in the car, we started going home. Oh, it was worth it. When you walk in obedience, he promises that there will be a blessing. When we did some third world countries, when we did missions, one in particular, we went there and, and I mean, I'm starting to unpack in this, awful place that we're going to be staying, but I started to unpack it. It's going to be a long week, and I put my toothbrush on the sink, just thinking that'd be the normal place because there's not a whole lot of room, so I'm going to put my toothbrush right there on the sink, and I turned my back for thirty seconds to get the towel that I laid down, I picked it up and the lizard fell out of it. And then I looked back at my toothbrush. You couldn't even tell the color of it anymore because it was so black with bugs. Oh, it's gonna be a good week. Jason comes in. He says, I don't really think this is a good experience for a kid, do you? And I, yeah, you know, and then and then Tom says, you know what? We need a little prayer meeting. And we get on this bed, and it's so filthy dirty. Do you know that I took one of my singing clothes and put it all around Jason's pillow so that he could sleep on one of my outfits instead of the pillow? It was that bad. I wasn't going to let my boy lay on to sit, lay his head on that. So he... I missed one one blouse for singing, but it was worth it. And I remember Tom sitting us down, and he said, you know what? We're not going to change them. This is just the way their lives are. And so what we need from the Lord right now is for him to change us. And not only did the Lord change our attitudes and everything, but Jason ended up becoming friends with the janitor, and this guy can't speak a one word of English and somehow those two communicated that it ended up, I ended up singing at that man's church. No one spoke English at all, but I'm telling you, it was one of the best concerts I ever did. The universal love of Jesus, that's the language was that morning. And when we left for home, all of us were so glad we were there. It was when you act in obedience I know it's not, sometimes it costs, sometimes it's not so-called fun and easy and comfortable. But you were doing what God wanted you to do. I mean, one time, one time we were in St. Vincent, and I don't know what Tom and Chad were doing, but Jason and I were walking back to our place, and, and I could, all of a sudden I noticed that there was a, a big truck with an open back of all men, and they kept going around and I said to Jason I said this doesn't look good Jason I think you and I need to hide and I took him and we hid in the bushes until they went around a few times and realized we weren't there who knows what would have happened and yet we had the best time on that island of St. Vincent. We never knew if there was gonna be electricities electricity. If you'd have seen me, you know it was you know, when we had a all I had was a great big tape player. That's all I had. And so Tom walked next to me holding it with the music and I and I sang to that. Because we didn't have electricity, so we needed batteries. So Tom just walked so so people only heard half a song. Because we, are this, we were this group of people for that half, and then we kept moving. I mean, But it was great. And the reason I say these things is because sometimes when God calls you to work for him, it isn't always easy. What is the book of Esther? I found that there were so many things that the Lord wanted me to learn in this book. And I think one of the main ones was, uh, stick up the mirror and look at yourself. Because you know what? Uh, they're supposed to be God's people. I mean, this Jew is sect. And they were supposed to be obedient, but they took the easy way out. And you know what? They missed the blessings. They missed the blessings, what God had in store. Well... <laughs> Here he could have changed the whole story, but this story probably could have and should have never even had to have been told because they were all back where God wanted them. Oh, I wish Esther and Mordecai hadn't changed so much. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews, I mean, look at now you see how many stayed behind because look at what they did, the remainder of them. They killed 75,000 of them. If they're going to kill 75,000, can you imagine how many there are of them? But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Oh, good for them. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar. On the 14th, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. And, of course, I have a problem with that word joy. The only way I can explain it in, the, in my version, because I looked it up in other versions, and instead of joy, they used the word gladness. Another version used the word laughter. And I think that that probably was more appropriate than the word joy. Because we know from what we've studied that word is priceless, and it's precious. The word joy doesn't even need a happy to make itself understood. Joy is a word that you get when you're in God's presence. When you're walking in righteousness, when you're walking in the right way, when you're living in his peace, when you are reminded of his love, when you realize that there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. When you can wake up every morning without a doubt in your mind, knowing that you belong to him, that you know you have a future, that you will live forever, that's joy. So here it says, they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy, but You know, where was God in all of this? He was right there. And what is joy? It's when you're in the presence of God. When you are in his presence, you will have joy. The thing is, they missed it. And this is what I'm trying to say. You missed the blessing. What a blessing for them to be able to, if they knew God and they were walking with the Lord. When they, even if they, there were so many times that I wanted them to say, oh, we've come to our senses. We've come to our senses. We need to go back. Okay, it's going to take four months. Yes, it's going to be a broken down city. But we need to be like Daniel. We need to face that direction knowing that that's home. And we need, as God's people, we need to go home. Oh, God's presence was there. They just missed it. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. I think there's a reason why we need to know about the 13th, the, rural Jews, the 15th, we're going to learn what it is. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observe the 14th of the month of Adar as the day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. I hope as we continue this here, I hope you see who is, who is making the rules about this particular holiday. With God not mentioned at all, you know he has nothing to do with this Purim, this holiday that Mordecai and Esther are writing it all down. This is the way they want it. So to them, to have them celebrate annually the 14th to 15th days of the month of Adar, verse 22, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. Nope, don't buy it. It's not because of what God did. It's because they're full of, of this relief. That's what I think it should say, that they rested and made it a day of feasting and relief. Because they weren't killed. Had nothing to do with God. Had all about, it had everything to do about them. And so Mordecai and Esther said, well, you know, every year, let's just have this celebration. Let's just really remember how we weren't killed. Not how God saved us. Okay, so he wrote them, Mordecai, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy, giving presents of food and one another gifts to the poor. Well, that was kind of nice. But so the Jews agreed to continue the celebration. They had begun doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Amiditha, the Agite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the poor, the poor, back in chapter 3. This is when Haman and Xerxes were sitting down there and, and they were deciding, let's see, let's cast lots to see what day what month? What year? We're gonna make it so specific. We're gonna annihilate every one of them on this one day. Let's cast lots. What day is it gonna be? So, it, it, just a reminder: this is it says that this is why um, we're gonna celebrate because Haman tried to kill us. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back unto his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, these days, these days, these two days that they're going to have, it's not just a one day, it's two-day celebration. So, therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word poor, because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them. Look at verse 27. The Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. And who appointed, who prescribed, this was all Mordecai. He was calling the shots for this holiday. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, in every province, in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants So what did Mordecai want? He wanted this every year. to. I want you to remember what we've done. I want you to never forget how how we fixed a very difficult situation. So when you're telling the story to your kids, I mean, there's no God mentioned because there isn't any even mentioned in his story, let alone to pass it down. And I couldn't help but go back and show the difference in Exodus chapter 12, how when, when the Israelites, you know, it was after nine plagues and this is the final plague and the Lord says, okay, um, the 10th the plague is going to be the death of the firstborn. And so... I need you to put, I need you, my people. The Lord told Moses, Moses told the people, you've got to put blood. We all know the story. We need to put blood around the doorpost. The whole Old Testament, I can't say this enough, is all about getting Jesus here. It was all about this shed blood. It was all about the lamb sacrifice, but the lamb was Jesus, even in the Old Testament, They had to believe a promise that a Savior was coming, and his blood was the only thing that the Father would use to accept as a washing away of sin. So the Lord says to Moses, let him put blood over the doorpost. And so then when the angel of death comes, he will pass over. and when this happened in Exodus chapter 12 the lord um said to moses and i think this is this is how you set up a uh, a remembrance this is how you want to have a not a celebration so much but yeah it really is a time when you set your children down and you tell them because in Exodus chapter 12:24 Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the promised land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, and what was the ceremony? It was the killing of a lamb. It was the fixing of that lamb. It was unleavened bread. And they all had purposes that made you look toward that the Lord is going to send a Redeemer. And so the Lord said to Moses, I don't want them doing this every year because, look at, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you, then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. See, the Lord said, Moses, I want them to do this every year because this is how you're going to pass the story down to your children. I mean, I think it would just be wonderful to be able to be sitting around that table and even, you know, have an unleavened bread and and the the sacrifice of the lamb and and all the rituals of the Passover. But then have your children say, "Why do I have to eat bread like this? Why do why did we have to kill that lamb?" I mean, kids have questions. And so why not be able then to say, oh, let's tell you. This is what God wanted. He wanted them to say, here's your opportunity to tell them. And can you imagine that? I can I can imagine children say, tell me another one. Tell me another one. Tell me another story. Well, there was so many, I'm sure. Oh, let me, let's tell you about the Red Sea. Let's tell you about, you know, you know when when the snake was around the pole and everybody was getting bitten by snakes and you look to the you look to the pole I mean there's just so many things so many stories, but that's how it's passed on this is what God did this is what God did this is what God did and you, we know that that many Jews who do not believe that Jesus came yet, they're still celebrating the Passover. But we know that Jesus and his disciples, on the night that he was betrayed, they sat in that upper room and they were going to celebrate the Passover, the Old Testament Passover, for the last time. Because Because Jesus knew that as he... As he was going to now be the lamb' sacrifice once for all, that there was no need to be symbolic anymore, because he was the ultimate sacrifice, so no need for Passover anymore. But in that same room, he said, "I want you to remember this. I want you to I want you to take bread. This is my body that was broken for you, and this is this this." grape juice, this wine that was, this is symbolic of my blood that was shed for you. And I want you to do this as much as you can to remember the price that was paid for you. See, God did that. He doesn't want us to forget. He wants us passing this on to our children because there is no other story like it. But this holiday, when God isn't even around, when Mordecai and Esther are calling the shots and they're making the plans and they want it told every year, of course, oh, what would we be without Mordecai and Esther? The thing is, the thing that's really sad is that that if you read about the Purim holiday, it is a holiday that Jews, they're most excited about that because it is the one that's the most fun. Because you know what they do, they dress up in costumes, of course they drink and eat, and in fact if you want a comparison, if you want to know what Purim is like according to our our holidays, it's a cross between Halloween and Mardi Gras. That's what I read. That Purim is so similar to Halloween and Mardi Gras. And where's God in those holidays? He's not. So verse 29, so Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai, the Jew, wrote with full authority, Oh, yeah, they sat down, and they were they were in full authority. Not God's authority, but their personal authority. She's queen. He's second in command, and they have a right to make up these rules and make up the holiday the way they want it. So along with Mordecai, the Jew wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Xerxes, words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim at their designated times as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations upon Purim. And it was written down in the records. We end with this chapter, and it's only only three verses. And it ends quite abruptly, if you ask me. I mean, didn't you want to know what happens? (laughs) The thing is, we do know. If you've studied Daniel, you do know. But let me just finish with these three verses. This is how the story ends. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores and all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king had raised him. Are they not written in the book of the Annals of the Kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held a high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Man, that's, that's just nasty. You know what I want to say to that? They are in charge of a pagan nation, for crying out loud. This is a pagan nation, and they've fallen right into it, and they love their their positions, and they're throwing their weight around, and their hearts are hard. Oh, they love this preeminent feeling that they have, that the Jews have for them. You know, I think a lot of people want to end this chapter and and they, you know, it's, they've seen and asked her what they want to see. And, oh, I'm sure, of course, God's not mentioned, but you know he was. No, we don't. And their actions prove it. Their spiritual weakness proves it. But I think so many think, oh, and they lived happily ever after, happily ever after. This is just like a fairy tale. No, this is real. And history proves it. You can go back in history. And I did because I wanted to know. I thought, what happens after this? We're just left with three verses. And then I went back to the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and I I looked at that statue, and that statue said that the first empire would be the Empire of Babylon, and then the second, the Medes and the Persians, would come and overtake that Empire of Babylon, and they then would be in control of the world. But then we also know that there was a third empire that was coming right after the Medes and the Persians and this was the Greek empire it was Alexander the great and i'll tell you this greek these greeks they were nipping at the at the heels of persia for years king darius was the king prior to Xerxes and already back then the greeks were already trying to war having one little battle after another and every battle got a little little bigger and a little bigger and and we know we know from history that the greek empire there was someone like alexander the great this isn't fantasy they did overtake the persian empire so, what happened to Esther? What happened to Mordecai? What happened to Xerxes? And I looked up some dates. And I was quite amazed that B.C. story of Esther, they kind of put it at 480 B.C. Around 480 B.C. So, and then I looked up when was the final, ultimate battle that the Greeks fought against the Persians and they took over? When did it become the Greek Empire? And according to history, it was 479 BC. That's. That's a year. That's maybe less than a year later. So we end this book with three little verses on how great they are, and they're wearing their crowns and their robes, and, and they're, the, the Jews are, and the, all the nationalities want to become Jews because, oh, now they're the popular ones, but not because of God, but because of self and what, what God did. And you know, when I asked that question in in the in the lesson, I hope you really thought about it. That question six, when I said what or I asked, what must you always remember when the Lord wants to accomplish much through your life? You know, he does use us. I mean, he used Mordecai and Esther. The only thing is, you know, they, they're just I say he broke their arms, patting themselves on the back, and they just grew more and more self-centered and more and more self-consumed. So when power got in their heads, when they fell into that power struggle, oh, I like this, I'm powerful, everybody's looking at me. So, you know, you, you just can't help but see that That did not last. That did not because it was a year less than a year later. That's why we don't have any more of the story. What happened to them? We know that there's not one word of them in any part of Scripture. Again, not one word. They weren't the example that God wanted. He didn't want to put them in the hall of faith of Hebrews 11. No, there was nothing. In fact, you know, I had mentioned this before, that, you know, almost all of the Hebrew Bible, almost all of the Hebrew Bible is represented in the Dead Sea Scrolls. This is quite amazing, and I don't want you to miss this. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, they found fragments or the whole book of every book in the Old Testament except one. And that's the book of Esther. They can't even find a fragment of the book of Esther. It is nowhere to be found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So you say, well, then why is it in God's word? Well, (laughs) for you and for me and for people who think they're, they're, they're religious, and, but we can play both sides. I mean, it's kind of like it's the same story I told you last week. I, I mean, it keeps coming to my mind all week about that dad who dropped his kids out. I was, you know, I know you're singing this this morning, but, you know, my kids, they got their bathing suits on, and, you know, I got mine under my shorts, and we're heading to the beach. So as soon as the amen is being said in the sanctuary, we're, I'm coming, have my kids ready. We're going to the beach. It shows you can play that religious game. But who are you kidding? You know, the Lord wants and he deserves, after what he's done for our lostness, he deserves 24-7. He deserves, he deserves all of our thoughts and all of our actions, all of our decisions. He deserves to be the one we go to. You know, we can be a part. We're a part of one of two kingdoms. God didn't make it complicated. Do you want to be a follower of mine? Um, Then you can become a part of the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. You're a part of that kingdom. Or you can be a part of the kingdom of man. I know that's sure fun and games now, but not really. You might think it is, but... When you think you can be in charge, oh yeah, you don't have to have anybody to tell you what to do and how to do it and where you like control. Oh yeah, it all sounds good, but you know what? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, you know, to be his follower, to wear his name, yeah, it's gonna cost. But I'll tell you, it is it is so it is so powerful and it's so strengthening when you're faced with the human feelings of going down with your circumstances and it is such a great feeling to know you don't have to because you have a power source that can override any emotion because he is who he is and he never changes and he is right there just as he was right there in this book he is right there in our lives When I'm faced with the temptation, it's right in my face, and all my human nature wants to go that way because it'll be so much fun and it just would appease my flesh so. And I have the Holy Spirit in my ear saying, you know what? There'll be consequences. When you're a part of the kingdom of God, there's just so, it just makes it all worthwhile. You have no regrets. You don't live with guilt. You don't watch yourself go down in just hopelessness. Instead, you can know what joy is because you're in his presence. I think that's what the book of Esther is. That's why it still is in God's word. It isn't in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Another thing, I went to Matthew 1, and I a lot of people don't like that chapter because it's boring. I mean, who, you know, this father of so-and-so and begat and all that kind of stuff, but it is marvelous because you watch God. God's plan. You watch his forgiveness. You you see five women who are probably the, the least that you would ever think would be in the line with Christ. You know, a couple prostitutes, you know, a mole a simple little country girl, but with a heart so pure that the Savior came through her. Oh, it's quite a line. But you know what? I watched... I looked down that line and were in my Bible. It says, "And at the time of the exile," I thought, "Oh, good, because maybe, because maybe you know, when we started the the Book of Esther, remember we said that it was Mordecai's great-grandpa that came seventy years prior, and his name was Jair, J a i r, and then he, his son was Shimei, and then his son was Kish, who then." was Mordecai, and so I looked at those three names, and I went to the line, and no, none of them are in the line of Jesus, and then I looked at who was at that particular time, who was in the line, who did God put in the line that would bring Jesus through, that continued through this line, and his name was Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was one of the men. That led the people who wanted to come back. He led them back home. I tell you, if, if you ever look at the book of Esther the same again, then somehow I didn't, hear, I, didn't, I didn't say it right. Because I think the Lord really does want us to see ourselves. He wants us to stop playing the religious game. And he wants us to know him. He doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't want us to miss his blessings. He doesn't want us to, to miss that we can live in hope every day. That's all he wants. And when you walk in obedience, you it. But when you're stuck on yourself, you will. It's just that simple. Heavenly Father, you did it again. Father, let these let these messages so permeate our mind. May we see ourselves. May we be willing to let this book uh, that we say, I don't want to be like that. It all looks so good for a while, but there's consequences. And even though we don't see them exactly at the end of chapter 10, we know they're there from the book of Daniel, from what we know. God, what do you say? You say there's going to be consequences. Every sin will be dealt with. Every bit of pride will be dealt with. Every bit of doubt will be dealt with. You've given us everything we need to live a life full of victory. But, Lord, help us to see that we can be one of those statistics, one of the survey, when we are now walking with you and what did it. What really did it? What pulled us off when who in their right mind would want not want to be in a right relationship with you? Father, that's what you wanted us to see. I believe it. Father, I just praise you. I thank you. We all do. In one accord, we lift you in your proper place. But yet you come down to us and you're in everything with us. We never go through anything without you being right there. And it's so beautiful when Paul says, And if God be for you, who can be against you? What a way to live. Father, may we dare to be like Daniel. But yet may we have learned from the book of Esther, and we pray this all in our Savior's name. Amen.